The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today, I am super duper excited to have back a past guest. This will be his third appearance on the podcast, uh, Chris Niebauer who is a neuropsychologist turned spiritual guru. That's how I'm going to describe you, Chris. You might have a different (laughs) way of describing yourself. He's the author of two amazing best-selling books, No Self, No Problem. Oh gosh, it's How Neuroscience is Catching Up to Buddhism. Did I get it right? Yep. Sounds Yay. good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then the No Self, No Problem workbook, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth today. He also has a, a wildly amazing YouTube channel. Is that catching up with the Buddha? No, it's if you just look up Chris Niebuhr, PhD on YouTube, okay. you should find it. It's pretty easy. That was a very old name. I, it might be stuck somewhere in there because that was a, I have to think what, what I called it a long time ago. Okay. So he has a YouTube channel, also his name, Chris Niebauer. We'll have it in the show notes. We'll talk about it again at the end. And he is also one of our partners at Cactus Blossom Retreat, where we will be teaching together in October. So um, we'll be sharing about that at the end of this episode too. So stay tuned. But today, the real point is for us to come together and talk about a topic that I can't believe you've been on the show twice and we haven't talked about this yet, (laughs) but it's all about intuition and the brain. And I mean, I want to say where is intuition in the brain, but I know that that is like sort of probably not a question that's going to get answered or even the right question to ask. But anyway, Chris, welcome back. I'm so excited to chat with you. It's always so much fun. Yeah, it's such a, it's, it's kind of amazing we haven't talked. Well, we did talk about this, you know, not directly. Right. But it, it's kind of a theme. Anytime we talk, it comes up. Yeah. You know, like, you know, we hint about it. And because thinking is, oh, I just did a video on my YouTube channel about thinking as an altered state of consciousness. And, you know, <laughs> we're such overthinkers and we don't recognize like thinking is new. Thinking is like we just invented this stuff maybe 50,000 years ago, probably just you know, hints of it 50,000. But then, you know, in the last 2000 years ago, then it really became popular. Now thinking is such the norm that we've got so many books on, th- we do, we forgot that there is anything else to consciousness except thinking. And that, that's what kind of been my mission to remind people, be out there to like, look, there's these wonderful states. Some of them are so intensely blissful. And all you have to do to get there is to stop thinking a little bit. (laughs) Just even for a moment. And, you know, I've been teaching intuition development now for over a decade. And one of the very first steps that I teach people is you got to quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. You have to quiet the mind because when the mind is quiet, 
right? I always think of intuition. It's your it's your connection to source, to your higher self, to the light, to God, however you want to think about it, to your highest and truest self and being. Mm-hmm. It's like the sun in the sky and thoughts are the clouds. And the more clouds, the harder it is to connect with your soul. And, you know, it, it works all the time through the breaks in the clouds. I live here in quote unquote sunny San Diego and it has not been sunny this summer because we have the marine layer has been really active. And so I know the sun is there. I can feel the warmth, but I don't see it clearly. And that's what happens with our thoughts. And I think too, and I almost hear you saying this, that sometimes too, we've confused the clouds with the sky. Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at those clouds and we're like, well, that's the truth. And oh, yeah. no, those are the things that are blocking the sun. <laughs> yeah. And we're looking for happiness and joy and bliss. We're looking for that in the thinking process itself. And that's not what thinking is for. Thinking isn't just, it's a system of, of just trying to keep our bodies a lot. It's a survival mechanism and it's useful. And if you look at all the other beings on this planet, uh, very few of them think as, I mean, well, none of them think as much as we do. We've made it not just a hobby, but like a, a career. We're career thinkers. And, and uh, you know, it all goes back, of course, Descartes, you know, I think, therefore I am. That gives us a huge hint that our existence itself is tied to thinking. And then you walk and you experience these other beings on the planet. They're not a caught up in thought. And so they all get it. Right. And that's what it's this beautiful intelligence that, you know, so much greater than what thinking can really offer us. And 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 that's where we find, you know, when you talk about tuition, I always think of it as, you know, it's consciousness recognizing itself. Ooh. The meaning of intuition, it's knowing without knowing how you know, because the thinking process is so limited, it can't capture the vastness of intuition. We could take thinking apart. And what we find is that we can think one thought at a time because thinking and language are so tied in with each other. And so that right there sets the limits. You can think one thought at a time, one word at a time. And intuition is like, it's vast and it's all at once and it, yeah. it, and it eludes time and space and it, and it just comes to you. So you, you can't think about it. And that's why in so, so often in science, they don't know what to do with intuition. Right. And that's why... Intuition and consciousness have so much in common if they're not the same thing in some ways. Right. Because we try to define consciousness. And what we're trying to do is put consciousness into a box that we can think about. And right. in, in in the consciousness work, this is called the hard problem because what they've discovered is we can't do it. Right. <laughs> consciousness is too big. It's right. too mysterious. It won't fit into anything that we can think about with one thought at a time. Right. Well, we try to do it backwards, right? Because the way that I understand it is you are consciousness. Consciousness is part of the vast all that is that you come from. And I love your phrase. Did you just say intuition is consciousness like recognizing itself? Yeah. I mean, that that's so profound and so beautiful and gives me tingles everywhere. I mean, it's just, it's so lovely and it it really, really, really resonates, right? It's when we know ourselves without knowing ourselves as who we really are on that deepest level, which is not nearly as profound as the way that you said it, but (laughs) that's my translation. But oftentimes the way that I see the mind is it's a keyhole. We're looking through this little keyhole, this little filter, right? And that's fine because that's how you have this human experience. Yeah, I love my thinking mind. It's a tool for playing a certain kind of game and doing a certain kind of thing that I came here on earth to do. Uh, but it's not the truth of who I am. I'm not going to find the truth of who I am in its entirety through looking through that keyhole. And, you know, I can find little bits of it, but it's just, 
we have grown to believe that everything is through the keyhole and that everything we can see through the keyhole is all that there is, not recognizing, you know, that we are actually, you know, the one looking through the keyhole in the first place (laughs) and that our knowledge is so much more vast than, you know, trying to squeeze ourselves through that tiny little hole. Yeah. I think Alan Watts said it's something like, it, it feels like we're looking through this little aperture, uh, you know, and that's that whole thing about we have a unique perspective. And that's where I think a lot of the neuroscience comes in with putting consciousness as the result of the brain. Right. To me, that's a wonderful way to play with it and have some fun with it. And obviously, I do neuroscience. So I think it's a great pointer to the really big mysteries. It's a way for us to, you know, get a handle on some of the really big mysteries. But, you know, so I have, I have a lot of fun with the neuroscience. But anything that we can think about is just, it has its limitations. Right. And then we get overwhelmed and people have these mystical experiences. And, and, and it's so common for, you know, the one common element people have when they have these mystical experiences is when they come back, they feel like now they're thinking again. And it's so tiny in comparison right and they can't they can't take that vast experience and put it back into that little categorical box of thought right and they're not supposed to and you're making me think we had a guest on the show not so long ago he's also been a a twice guest mark gober Uh, he wrote a really lovely book the end to upside down thinking where he talks about all the research and evidence that shows that you know we have this idea that consciousness is an emergent property of the brain But in fact, it's the other way around. Like the Mm -hmm. brain is the filter. Yeah. And that when the brain is quiet, you know, when people have these mystical, magical experiences, like near-death experiences or psychedelic experiences, right? Brain activity is actually quieted down. So your brain is a filter. It's a good filter. I'm glad to have one. Again, I I love being here on earth and having these conversations with you. And I could not have those as clearly if I did not have, you know, those regions of my brain active and working for me. But it's a filter. Consciousness is everything that it is. It's not an emergent property of the brain of matter. It's the creator of matter. Yeah. And there's a huge revolution going on, particularly in the consciousness field where, and again, the neuroscience has a long history of this belief that somehow matter, when it gets complex enough, and most theories of consciousness or some version of this, that, you know, the brain gets complex enough and then all of a sudden consciousness emerges. Right. And But the wonderful revolution going on is the exact opposite is actually taking hold where people are recognizing it's consciousness that's creating all of this. Yeah. Consciousness is manifesting in this unique way. And it actually makes the world more beautiful in a lot of ways because it's all you and it's and it's it's a, it's a lot of artwork going on. Like right. it's a it's a creation that's all that's happening as we go. And we keep digging deeper and you know, we find quantum mechanics and then we find the strange stuff that that yeah. most matter is empty space. And it's just almost like this wonderful game of like consciousness this playing hide and seek with itself and saying, well, you know, I'm going to come up with this other little thing to throw a twist and let's do quantum mechanics. And then let's, let's just make all matter. Not even like you can't even find it because it's mostly empty space. And then let, yeah. let's throw in dark matter and, uh, you know, stuff that we know is there and it's 95% of the universe, but we don't even have any clue. You know, it's just a really fun game of consciousness hiding from itself and then discovering itself over and over again. Which is, I think, what life is all about. Yeah. I think that's actually what this human experience is here to do. We are hiding from ourselves and rediscovering ourselves again and again. And in so doing, we are expanding and having a blast. Yes. Even when you don't know it, 
Yes. And that's, that's the really fun, like even in, when you have a bad day and, and you, you know, you can kind of catch it sometimes and be like, oh, wow, you know, I was just having a little bit of fun with that bad day. You know, I wasn't taking it, you know, if you take it too seriously, then, well, actually, you know, even when you take it seriously, then the game is playing itself in an even deeper level. Yeah. And you're like, wow, you know, I really fooled myself because I actually got in a bad mood or, you know, sometimes we complain because the kind of mystical beauty of experience would just take us over so much. And so complaining, I did a video on this, like complaining just you know, brings us back to what we think of as this ordinary reality. Because the moment you recognize consciousness for what it is, this is the way I start the book out is like, you would just go running down the street like I'm a conscious being. It would just be so magnificent and marvelous that you'd be like, you know, just sit here just being conscious and, and mystified by just experience itself. And it is magical like to have those moments. I remember years ago, I was thinking about this when I woke up this morning because it happens now probably more often than not. But years ago, maybe like eight or 10 years ago, I started noticing that I would have these moments and I just would feel good. I would just feel they were my feel-good moments. They would have nothing to do with anything that was going on. It was like it was rising from within me and I would just feel content and safe and like happy and just just good and just at peace. And, you know, I think looking back now, I knew that was a good thing that was happening within me and I knew it was loosely tied to this like spiritual development stuff I was doing. Um, but what I recognize more and more is those were the moments, the breaks in the clouds, those were the moments where my soul self was starting to shine through. And now they're not moments. Now they're fleeting moments and sometimes they're hours and sometimes, you know, they're much more profound and, and more and more they become how I experience my life. And also by understanding what that really is, by understanding that those moments are the truth, we invite more of those moments into our lives, right? Because we start to say, oh, wait, that's that's my soul's natural state. We don't force it. We don't chase it. We just allow it. And we recognize it was there all along, just like the sun behind my gloomy skies. And then everything just sort of makes sense Yeah, beyond normal thinking, because then it's like death is an illusion. Consciousness has been around the whole time. It can't be destroyed. There, there's nothing that can harm it. It's in charge. Right. It is it. It's doing the show. And I've been playing a lot of my um, YouTube channel with this notion because uh, people were very fascinated with the idea of free will. And there's an irony here because the thinking mind, I always look at it as like this program in the left brain. And again, it's here for survival. And it's great because it gets us out of some basic jams that we can find ourselves into. But it's more like a program. So it's it's not what I would call free will. And I show this in the book with all these exercises. Yeah. So say, you know, if you could control your thoughts, you would. Right, yeah. <laughs> no one would worry. Worry would be like, oh, I'm just going to turn the switch off because who wants to worry? Right. Well, many, many of us have learned to feed the worry because we've been taught that the worry has some significance for our well-being. I don't think that it does. It's just, it's just like an internal little torture chamber. But many of us have learned through others, through experience, I think that worry serves a purpose and that, you know, if we let go of the worry, if we let go of the fear, then we're, then we're in trouble. Of course, it's the opposite. But anyway, I interrupted your flow. So I'm sorry well, for that. No, no, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, intellectually, people recognize, you know, most of the thoughts of my worry, they, they never even turn out to be the way I thought they would. And so, you know, I, I had my students do this. They would keep journals, worry journals, and they would write all the thoughts down about what they were worried and how confident they were. And they were so confident sometimes, like, I know this is going to, you know, that's the trick of the thinking mind. One of the things I really work with people with is recognizing that 
the thinking mind is just one tiny little mode of human existence. So how do you stop intrusive thoughts? Well, you can't stop them by thinking more. <laughs> you, you know, the, the thinking mind is what's causing all of this. And like you were describing before, these beautiful moments that happen, when do they happen? When we get outside of thinking. And that's why people, they know this. They get into music, they go for a walk during nature, and all of a sudden they're like, their soul feels lifted. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you weren't thinking. You right. were listening to birds. You were listening to, you, you were part of nature. And this thinking, which again, you know, I think we're both so on the same page with this. Sometimes people think I'm like negative about thinking. I'm like, no, thinking is a wonderful, it's really an amazing mystery too, how how we've ever fooled ourselves with this trick of thinking, which doesn't even exist. So I did a couple of videos too, that thinking, we only think we are thinking all the time. Right. So it's really a cool trick. It's like only God could come up with something so <laughs> cool. <laughs> and so um, that is the trick. Yeah. It has, there's a vibe to it. Thinking has a vibe and the vibe is usually about worrying about the future. You're, you're not where you're at. You're not when you're at. Right. And that's the vibe of thinking and it's fine. And then there's this other mysterious uh, kind of conscious recognition of consciousness and 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 knowing that that you're part of a much more interesting version of reality than your work and your career, like yeah. the money and all that. I mean, those are wonderful stories that get us distracted in this human existence, but they're not it. Yeah. They're not the real it. They're they're playing. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. I think the problem with thinking comes, and you know, I've heard this, Einstein has a famous quote about this, Eckhart Tolle talks about this. I think the problem with thinking comes is when we make that Cartesian error, right? I think therefore I am, I am my thoughts, that is my identity, not understanding that you are the awareness that is aware of the thoughts. You are not the thoughts itself, right? And that's what a Buddhist, I believe, would say. I know that's what Eckhart Tolle would say. You're the awareness of the egoic mind. But the egoic mind wants to claim you for itself. I believe Einstein had a quote to the effect of, you know, the mind is the servant. The intuition mm -hmm. is the master, but we got it backwards. We confuse the servant, the mind, and when let it become our master. And I feel for me, when I use my mind as a tool, Rather than being used by it, everything changes. That's such a trick for people. Like when you recognize it's not who you are, it's just a tool that you can use occasionally. All of a sudden, it becomes so much more effective. Yeah. And it, it starts working the right way, the way it was supposed to work. And the thing that blew me away was being a psychologist and, you know, reading all the stuff about the mind and then getting into like old Eastern philosophy, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and they're talking about the mind, and it's the same mind that psychology was talking about. So they get it, that it's the same mind. But in the East, there was this recognition like, you are not the mind. Right. And then we took a different corner in, in Western psychology, and we fell for this thing that we are the mind. Every problem we have is an identity problem. And that's the identity. If, if you think you are that worry 
then life can be really stressful and heavy. But then it's so easy to prove that that's not who you are, because if it were, you could control it. I mean, that was the argument the Buddha gave. He's like, if, if you were this uh, mind, you could just shut it off. And right. the very fact that we can't. So this is why worrying can be a blessing, particularly when you can't stop worrying. It's a it's a huge pointer. It's like, how can this be you if you have no control over it? So the more you worry, the more you stress out. It's like sometimes they say the universe will keep hitting you over the head until you wake up and listen. Right. And it's like for some people, they don't get why their, their stress is so bad because it's a lesson. Look, I'm going to continuously go relentlessly up with this until you figure out the truth that this isn't you. Right. And the moment people that hits with people, all of a sudden, it had, that is putting all that heavy luggage down. And that's why you feel so much more. That's where they get the, you know, blissful part of our existence. But you got to learn to work with it too, right? Because I know people that are, okay, I'm not the mind. So let me now use my mind to try to fix the problem. And so many little loopholes, yeah. Right? Like make the mind go away. <laughs> I want this mind to stop. Why can't I control this mind, right? That yeah. doesn't help either. Ooh, I made myself a little anxious even going there. <laughs> That, that's where so many of us, and, and you know, psychology yeah. is a big field, but that's kind of where psychology went. They said, okay, look at this mind, and, and here's all these issues with the mind, so let's fix the mind with more thinking. And that does, you know, backfires a little bit. And then, we're, But then we're like, the, the waking up that we're doing is, and I call this, the, you know, waking up from the dream of thinking. And, and, and we're, we're doing this on a collective level, which is so cool that people are, you know, recognizing and people like totally had a huge effect on getting this message out to so many people like you are not your mind and okay then that takes our identity to an interesting place you're the awareness and then you're conscious and that's an interesting identity because it's not really an identity at all because uh, if you're a consciousness it's like well there's nothing particular like consciousness doesn't have a gender consciousness doesn't have an age consciousness there's nothing i can pinpoint with consciousness yeah. and say here's a quality of it that i can identify with it's a state of being it's a state of being that resists categorization yeah you cannot put it into a mental box and of course that's why we haven't been able to scientifically define it yeah it resists all efforts to classify it Right. So this is bringing us back to the the topic that I wanted to talk about today. And it's also bringing me back to my history because as listeners know, and as you know, a long time ago, I was, I was a psychologist too. And <laughs> I, you know, was pursuing my PhD. I got my PhD in cognitive psychology and, and my, my secret love was neuroscience, but I didn't do a lot of neuropsych at the time. But anyway, I, I pursued this precisely because I wanted to study consciousness. I wanted to understand this question of what is consciousness and how does consciousness interact with the brain? And I was also a philosophy major as an undergrad. And I remember sitting in philosophy class and back then I was channeling, but I didn't know what it was called. And, you know, they're asking questions like, well, if consciousness is an emergent property of the brain, like, how do you, how do you, you know, account for the felt sense and how do you do all of these things? And my guidance was always very clear. My guidance was always very clear. The whole materialist paradigm's got to go. And that's where we're heading. That's where we're heading. We're going to see that, you know, it can't explain this thing because it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with that in mind, I still went to graduate school. I still got my degree in psychology. And I lost my passion precisely because no one was asking anything near the questions that I wanted to ask because they couldn't. Because, you know, the little magnifying glass that we were trying to solve all our problems from was never, ever, ever going to be wide enough to answer the questions that drove me into the field. And I lost my passion. 
I lost my passion. And I didn't realize what was missing then. I didn't realize that I had these spiritual longings because I wasn't raised with this idea of spirituality. I, I didn't even know it was a thing. So I didn't know what was missing. I just knew that, you know, something was gone. But, you know, coming back home now, I remember oddly enough that my my professor, the person I worked for was highly intuitive and he was a musician. And um, though his actual thing that I studied as, as a graduate student was logical reasoning, true story, mm. syllogisms, how people solve mm. syllogisms, the most interesting thing, not that anyone <laughs> could ever study. <laughs> and I broke away from my dissertation. I actually studied informal reasoning and how people reason about things and belief biases and the way that we reason and showing that people aren't actually logical at all. They just pattern match. If I agree with this, I like it. If I don't agree with it, it's wrong which seems like something that, you know, is kind of obvious now, but I demonstrated that in the lab. But, you know, really what even Phil at the time, my advisor at the time, we were trying to capture this idea of what is intuition. And I know he was doing some research on that. And I know one of my lab mates was doing some research on creativity and music. Um, so we were trying and, and he was a programmer. So he was trying to get artificial intelligence to do that. So have fun with that. Yeah. But I want to talk now about intuition and the brain and intuition in the mind because it's so important. And where I left off when I left academia was this idea that intuition is dumb, right? That intuition is this dumb thing. It's not our smart mind. It's our all of our biases and all of our automatic thinking. It, it works sometimes, you know, because it's a good pattern matcher when you're not having to be really smart and use your logical mind. But intuition is kind of stupid and don't trust it too much. And that was the academic takeaway of intuition back in the day when, you know, I left academia. And of course, listeners know, and I think, Chris, you know, I don't see things that way at all. <laughs> so anyway, I'm throwing the gauntlet back to you on all that. Yeah, I, you know, my life, it's led by intuition. To me, it's the guide and the thinking mind. And this is the mistake. So there's a bunch of very fascinating mistakes that are being made in academia. One is mistaking thinking and consciousness, probably the most popular thing going on. It's amazing to me when I would see these famous, brilliant thinkers like Daniel Dennett, who just absolutely confuses the thinking mind with consciousness. Yeah. And that's why he thinks it's an illusion. And, and he doesn't get that, like, thinking is the illusion. And it's like consciousness is, is the only actual reality. Right. Ah. Because if you're so identified with your thinking mind, then consciousness has to be an illusion, right? Because you can't find it by thinking about it. Exactly. I mean, so of course, consciousness would be an illusion because if I can't think about it, it doesn't exist. And so you've got the academic world. And of course, they did the same thing with intuition. And the interesting thing with this is, of course, thinking only had to be right enough to survive. So the thinking mind is filled with all kinds of thinking errors because it didn't have to be right all the time. Right. And that's how it came up with things like categories. And, and that's why we think in categories. I was looking at my book on Goodreads. And, and the cool thing about Goodreads is you can actually see what the most popular quote is because people can highlight it. And when I wrote that book... The no self, no problem. I, you know, it's wonderful as a writer when you connect with people who who read your work and they they absolutely get it. And it's a really difficult message to get. And and they they picked the most popular quote from that book was, "To think is to think in categories, and there's no way around this." And that was I was so happy that my readers got that. I was like, you know, it just felt like a huge victory. Like that's it, because that's what thinking is. Thinking takes the world, and it manages it 
in a way that thinking can handle. So instead of everything happening at once, it separates. It, it deals with contrast and and it looks for uh, things that are in common. So you know, you, you look out because I can see through my window at, at the backyard, and you're like, oh, that's grass. And it, you know, because you're t- you're taking qualities that these all completely unique things. So the universe went through this really interesting trick of like uniqueness. It's like God, nature loves uniqueness because everything is, all the blades of grass are unique. Every moment is unique. But the thinking mind goes, oh no, you know, today's Thursday. Oh, it's another third. Like somehow we we think we, we're living a, another moment. We've lived, we're in Groundhog's Day all the time. Right. <laughs> but it's just thinking. The thinking mind thinks it's Thursday. The thinking mind thinks that uh, somehow this moment has happened. Oh, so if you go to work, I'm going to work. I'm doing the same job. No, you've never done the same job ever twice. Right. Because the, it's always a fresh moment now. And now is always a fresh yeah. moment. So I talk about waking up from the dream of thinking. It's waking up from this dream of categories, categories which are absolutely illusory. And we're, we're living in these ways that we've divided reality, like there are governments and that there are countries and that there are work and, and oh, today I worked, tomorrow I don't work. We've got almost an infinite number of ways we've categorized the world. And the trick is none of them are real. Right. Well, if you look at a category, I remember this from philosophy class way back when, Quine's teachings, and you look and say, okay, what makes something a table? All right, something is a table. It has a top and four legs. You take one of the legs off the table, is it still a table? Well, yeah, yeah it's still a table. It's a three-legged table, right? You. When does something not be a table? When yeah. is a rabbit not a rabbit, right? When we really try to look at these things, we see that even our categories, they're loose. They're just neat little ways to kind of break up the world that we've learned, but they're loose. They're illusory. They're not real and they create a really nice shared reality and experience that we're all here with our brains having together, but they're not the truth of who we are. It's just the little game that we're playing right now. And so when you get back to the brain, one of the things that the left hemisphere, and this really blew people's minds back in the 80s and 90s, because the left brain was so categorical. So some people, if you ask them what's the difference between the left and right sides of the brain, they'll say, well, the left does language, the right side does spatial processing. But the cool thing is, is that the left brain dissects and looks at the world so pervasively categorical that if you give it a spatial task, something that the right brain should be great at, but you make it a categorical spatial task, then the left brain can outdo the right. Right. And so even with space, which is, that's what the right brain is great at, is the space around us. But if you make it a categorical spatial task, the left brain excels because language is categorical. So when we think, we think in words because all the words we talk, like take any thought that you have, like I like my dog, then I versus everyone else. That's one category, like versus dislike, dog versus and all the, so all of our thoughts are these categorical illusions created by the left brain. So that's one of the really cool things that uh, we've, we've put together in terms of neuroscience. And when you're not thinking, which is to say you're not taking the world into categories, and it's coming all at once. These are all hints that you're probably using the right brain. And that's that right brain seems to be such a, a bridge to something greater. So like we were talking about the brain being a filter. So if you think about the left brain, the left brain is like, I'm going to filter 99% of reality. Right. <laughs> the right brain is like, I'm only going to filter maybe 50%. And so when you get into that right brain motor processing, all of a sudden you're making all these connections. 
And we know that, like, if you say a word, the right brain makes all these different connections between what that word might mean. The left brain very quickly narrows it down to say, well, this is what it means. And so the right brain has that vast attentional system that it's making connections. And that is, to me, one of the foundations of intuition. It's knowing how everything is connected and, and getting a glimpse of reality that the left brain will never be able to see. Right. I'll just tell one of my favorite stories about intuition because uh, when you're guided by intuition, you have a certain faith and a certitude. You're like, but that can get shaken up sometimes because of the timing. Like intuition, I don't, isn't on a clock. Like intuition right. isn't like, okay, you'll be rich tomorrow at four o'clock. The way the right brain works is, it's it's not categorical, so it's not going to say like next book. Yeah. It, it's just too big, and so so I wrote my very first book, and I knew which publisher I wanted to go with. So I sent a copy to the publisher, and I, my daughter came over. We she was like nine years old. We held, held hands, and and I pushed send, and I'm like, I had the strongest intuition that like this was certain. This happened already. Right. Like my intuition was like this already happened, and then I get a letter back, and it was a rejection letter, and I'm like this can't be true. Wow. This, <laughs> I'm like, this can't happen because, you know, by intuition, it's not wrong. And of course, the wonderful part about the story is, is that the publisher ended up contacting me in the end, and we ended up publishing the book together. Right. And so like, that to me is the truth of intuition. It knows. And you've got the left brain that's just such a skeptic with all this. And it's always trying to find out how do I test your faith? You know, right. how many times it's, Jesus said to his disciples, you have little faith. It was something like 15 times or something. Yeah. And we need to learn to where to put our faith. Because again, so many people put their faith in the ever questioning brain, right? I need the evidence there um, where you're never going to find it. Hmm. And putting your faith in your intuition is, is a very different thing. It's agreeing to not know sometimes, but to know more deeply. Yes. That's so well put because, again, it's a vibe. To me, that's the way I describe it. Like, I had a feeling of absolute certainty with this. And so my intuition was telling me how reality is playing out. Right. And so that's kind of that free will. Like the left brain, it's so limited. And again, it's like a computer program. I would never describe it as having free will. But when we get into the really big picture and we realize that we're part it's a symphony and it's all happening all at once. And everyone has a role and a place that is coming together in what we would really call free will in the sense that the universe is is free in its creation, which is everyone's life that's going on right now. That's what manifestation is all about. They're like, when we get that trick of manifesting, you realize you're the architect. You know, fate isn't something that happens to you. Fate is the thing you're creating. Exactly. And your intuition is your guide through that. Yes. In my mind, your intuition is that little ping, ping, ping GPS that is guiding you. You send up an intention, you send up a desire, you send up a dream, and your intuition is like, ping, 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 let me get you back on track. Let me show you the fastest, most joyous, most mm -hmm. amazing way to get there. And sometimes your intuition even says, oh, you, you thought you were going right, but you know, what you really want is over to the left, right? Yes. I love it. I could talk to you all day, which is why you've been a guest on the show three times. And um, all right, let's talk about the retreat. You're coming to Cactus Blossom and we're going to play together. It's going to be you, it's going to be me, and it's going to be the ever-present on this podcast, Lisa McCourt, who's also been a guest many times, but she also gets quoted a lot on here. <laughs> so, But 
you know, I think what we're doing at this retreat is also relevant to this topic, right? Because we're bringing together three things that feel like they don't go together, but they're all part of the same cloth, right? We're bringing together the intuition. We're bringing together, I always call you the neuroscience, even though you are so much more than that. And we're bringing together the joy. And we're weaving those three things into a beautiful weaving to help people live the way that I see it, that more soul, spirit, guided life. And to learn to use that mind more as a tool rather than be used by it. Does that sound like a good summary of what we're doing? Absolutely. With exercises, getting that trick of being able to point out when you're thinking. So again, it's like a vibe that you feel like, okay, that's me. That's the overthinking and and recognizing it as a program. It's, It's not nasty or intentionally trying to ruin your life. It's just the way it was programmed. Right. And so it's really quite innocent. And like we said, when you use it the right way, it works really, really well. So you do all these exercises, you know, I feel off the group and whatever they're into. And the wonderful message is that you're already happy. You just don't know it. Right. And that's really the message to get out because the thinking mind is the one that's those clouds between you and the sun. Right. You know, it's always there. It's always blissful. But clouds come in and that makes it feel, you know, I've got this problem. I've got this problem. And, right. and, that's, and that's what the mind does. And so I think it'll be a really fun time. I'm looking forward to it. And and we'll just have some fun exposing the thinking mind for what it is. It's a great servant. It's just a terrible master. Exactly. And I think too, you know, all of these things that we talk about, like hacking the brain, learning to let go of the thinking mind is the same thing as learning to live with more joy, which is your natural resting state, which is the same thing as learning to connect to your intuition, which is your true wisdom that is, you know, always aligning you with your highest purpose and joy and happiness. So they're all just different ways to point yourself back and point your life back in the same direction. So I love it so much. All right. I ask everyone on the show how they experience their intuition, but you've had that one already twice. So what I'm going to ask you now is what is your favorite way to connect with your inner wisdom? Like what's your hack? What helps you get there and get there fast? Hmm. Okay. One interesting thing, and I and I found this out when I was really little. I had these very unusual experiences and it felt like none of this was real. Like none of this was the real substance of reality. It was almost like everything was a movie and I could just kind of like poke my finger through the screen. Now I was really young when this was happening and I loved these experiences. But what I discovered is, so I would try to hold on to it because I'm like, it's such a cool, you know, feeling like none of this, like there's something bigger to reality than this. But if I tried to hold on to it, it was elusive. It would be gone. And so one of the things that we've kind of got ourselves in, you know, very interesting paradox, it's with happiness. And and there's been very few people have really pointed this out explicitly, like Alan Watts and Aldous Huxley, they, they re- recognized that if you wanted it probably will disappear. And if you demand that it happens, it will probably, um, I'm just looking for, oh, I had a really nice quote from Ram Dass that summarized exactly what- You were saying it great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he said, like, if you want absolute power, you're not going to have it. The moment you give up everything, you'll have everything. Exactly. And so when you go on this quest, there has to be this emotional tone that it's okay if things are just as they are right now. And that's when the big mystery says, oh, you've opened the door. Because you're accepting of how things are right at this moment, and you've had total acceptance, and you're okay with it, all of a sudden the door opens, and that's when it hits you, that you've been happy the whole time. You just didn't 
you didn't think that you were. Yeah. That thinking mind was kind of, oh, I don't think that I'm at, you know, but the happiness was there all the time. Yeah. And it's, it's so true. It's when we let go of the need to know and know definitively and know now that our intuition shines through every single time, right? We have to surrender. I always say intuition is an act of surrender. So I love that. It's so beautiful. I could talk to you all day, only I can't. <laughs> all right. So for those of you who are listening to this when it goes live, our amazing retreat at Cactus Blossom Retreat in Escondido, California is happening on the 13th through the 15th of October. So all that information will be in the show notes. It'll be on the retreat website, which is Cactus Blossom retreat.com. So join us there if you can. And I know if you miss this one, fear not, because I know this is going to be the first of many visits that Chris is going to make to Cactus Blossom because like he may think he has free will, but <laughs> not where I'm concerned. Now, you still have free will, my friend, but you're going to want to come back because I know this is going to be so much fun. And if you want to follow up and find Chris, his YouTube channel, tell us where to find you. All the books, all that's going to be in the show notes. But can you give everyone a quick summary for the people that are just listening if they want to find you outside of our retreat? Yeah, actually, if you just type in no self, no problem, most of it comes up. I think my webpage comes up, which is just Chris Nebauer, PhD. And then you'll find the books on Amazon will come up. And then my YouTube channel usually comes up. And so uh, it's all pretty easy to find. And I just passed my 300th video on YouTube. So so lots to listen to there. And I try to make them short. And I try to make them, you know, just a few minutes, really getting to the point of beyond what we consider normal human existence, all, all the fun stuff of the mysteries of consciousness and all of that. And releasing the self, right, is living with more joy, more intuition, more grace, more purpose, more everything yummy and delicious. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so glad that you're doing this work and sharing your beautiful wisdom with the world. And I'm so glad for all of you listeners. I know I say it every single time, but it's true. I wouldn't have met this amazing person and been able to have these three amazing conversations and some conversations that y'all don't even get to listen to. <laughs> if it wasn't for you and it wasn't for this podcast. So I'm so grateful. Keep listening, keep sharing with your friends, keep sharing the love, giving us five-star reviews, or just keep tuning in because we love that too. And I'm so grateful for you all. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So thank you all again and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy smith and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.